Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing another message today out of the book of Revelation, chapter 20. I think I'm going to settle in on chapter 20 for a while because there is so much information to give you. I know that if you were to look at chapter 20, you'd say, well, gosh, there's only like 15 verses. How much could you give us? Well, buckle your seatbelt because we're on lesson three this week, and I've got several more to give you. As we've looked at uh, chapter 20, I want to read for you uh, just a few verses, and I'm going to use as my text today, Revelation chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. Only two verses. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to read it with me. Uh, join with me in the reading of God's Word. It's always a privilege, uh, and it's one that I hope you never uh, overlook, the fact that it is a privilege to be able to open up a copy of God's Word. There may come a day when we're not allowed to do that in this country, uh, so I hope you don't take that for granted. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 5, the Word of God reads, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, as we have said before, we're looking at the, uh, the kingdom. And uh, in looking at the kingdom, I, I, I get comments all the time. And I hear people say they just don't understand the kingdom. Or is this really going to happen? Uh, because it is so different. It's such a time that is different. For example, if I were to tell you <clears throat> that this world is headed towards a time where, where righteousness and goodness dominate, would you believe that? Based on what we know about the world today, that'd be kind of hard to believe, wouldn't it? What if I were to tell you a world where absolutely no injustice, a world where everybody is treated fairly, a world where no court ever renders an unjust or undeserved verdict? How would that hit you? How would you like to uh, live in a world like that? Or what if I were to tell you that uh, a time is coming in this world where everything is true and right and everything is noble? Every area of life and society and commerce and education, everything else is under complete control and directed towards what is right. Can you imagine living in a world like that? Or can you believe that this world is headed towards a time where everything that is done is the right thing to do? What if I were to tell you this world is going to be a time where total and lasting and enforced peace and joy will abound where health is widespread or where people were going to live for hundreds of years. I think they say now the average lifespan of a male is 84 years old. For a female, it's 79 years old. I don't know how they get that, and I've heard different statistics on that. But in the kingdom, people will live for hundreds of years. It won't be unusual for someone to live four or five hundred years. You know, of course, everything's going to be different. It's not like they're going to, you know, it's not going to be like the time of, of what we see now, but it's going to be different. So imagine that there's coming a time where joy will abound, health will abound. People are going to live for hundreds of years. Or imagine this that this world is headed towards a time when animal kingdom will be in harmony with one another, where man will be in harmony with one another, where man and animal will be in harmony with one another. 
What if I were to tell you in this world there are going to be a t- there's going to come a time where the fiercest of animals will walk with the gentlest of animals, where a lion perhaps will lie down with a child or a or a lamb or a dog, a lion? Yes, that's going to come during the kingdom which will be on earth. What if I were to tell you there's coming a time where children? Now, this may shock you, would actually go and play at a snake pit full of snakes. They could even pick up one. You say, well, what child would want to do that? Well, if there's no venom there and there's no curse there, the snake is not the cursed creature as it is today. I don't know. What if I were to tell you there's coming a time when the ferocious bear could actually walk right up to animals, small animals, like a lamb or a dog or a a cat, and not even touch it. Be gentle with it. They could walk together or or even be led by a child. Imagine a five-year-old walking a bear, holding its hand, its paw. You say, that's not real. I've had people actually tell me that's not real. Well, it is real. Can you imagine a world that is coming where food is plentiful, where well-being is common to everyone? What if I were to tell you there's a world coming where there's going to be one perfect world ruler, one world ruler where under that one world ruler only glorified, perfected people working under him to accomplish his will? That's going to be what the job of the saints are going to be. We're going to have one boss carry out his will, his purpose, so that perfection reigns from the top right on through to the whole system. What if I were to tell you this world is headed towards a time where sin of any kind will be dealt with instantly and firmly? Well, (laughs) that world is coming. That world is going to be known as the kingdom or the millennial reign of Christ. If you can imagine that kind of a world, you're headed towards understanding the character of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can begin to understand the character of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're much farther along in your Bible knowledge of Revelation than most people are. Because most don't even know that the Revelation teaches about the kingdom. And it's only a little bit that it teaches. It's like I said a couple of weeks ago, Revelation 20 has been uh, a vision of the kingdom to any Bible student. It has been a significant preview of the kingdom, even though everything up to now is just actually just laying out in a very simplistic form or framework. We've still gotten a glimpse of the kingdom, and that, that glimpse came in, by looking at the Gospels and looking at the incarnation of of God in the form of Jesus Christ, His life and ministry on earth. Yeah, we've seen glimpses of the kingdom all through the study of the Word of God. You've seen glimpses in the Old Testament if you've ever really read it. We saw, we've seen Jesus in the New Testament time when He was walking on this earth, cast out demons. We saw Him heal bring well-being to people. We saw Him performing miracle after miracle. We saw prophecy and revelation take place. We saw the 
God just overruling the natural laws, like calming the storm on the sea, causing the waves to obey Him. We saw the demonstration of the Spirit's power bringing salvation. And we've even seen by reading the Gospels, Christ ruling in the domain of the spiritual influence over the souls of those who place their trust in Him. And all those are a foretaste of the kingdom of glory. Even on the day of Pentecost. You remember when Pentecost is in Acts chapter 2? Even on that day when the Spirit came, Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And that prophecy in Joel 2 was a prophecy of the kingdom. And Peter was saying, this is the foretaste. This is the preview of the kingdom. But let me share something with you. I remember I told you this is going to be a very simplistic general form. L let me just share this with you. The transfiguration. You remember that in, 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 the, in the Gospels? In fact, we've seen it uh, probably clearest in Matthew. Matthew 16. Let me just read starting in verse 28 of Matthew 16. Actually, I think it starts in verse uh, 27. The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Then you read verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now hear those words. There are some of you that are listening right now, Jesus said, who are not going to die until they see the Son of Man coming in the kingdom. What kingdom? Well, we're talking about a kingdom that hadn't come then and hasn't come now. But we're talking about the same kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ that comes at the end of the tribulation period, initiated by His second coming. Now, that's a long time ago He said that to His disciples. A long time ago. But have you ever asked yourself, like, in what sense could Jesus mean that? I mean, what was he really saying? How is it that there would be some of those people? That's been 2,000 years ago he said that. Well, was he mistaken? No. Or did he really mean something else? No, he didn't. How is it that there were people standing there listening to him and that day he was speaking to all of his disciples and saying to them, some of you will not die until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, I wish we had time to dissect all of that, but I just want to talk about that for just a minute. Bear with me, because this is a preview. This is one of the greatest previews of the kingdom, I think, in the Word of God. Well, he said some of them, right? He said, some of you will not die until they see the Son of Man coming. Well, it wouldn't be all of them. That's the first observation. But it would be some of them. Some of the disciples would live until they, they see Jesus coming in his kingdom. Wow. Really? Chapter 17. Six days later, one week later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them or transformed before them. His face was like the sun. There was a glory of God shining in the face of Christ. His garments became brilliant, dazzling, and white. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. 
In other words, they weren't invisible to Peter, James, and John. They could be seen by them. And they're talking with Jesus, who is in his glorified state as he will appear in the kingdom. Wow. They are actually taking a look at a kingdom view. They're getting a preview of the Christ that's going to reign during that kingdom, and they're getting a preview of two people, Moses and Elijah. Peter answered and said to Christ, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. And Jesus came to them, touched them, and said, Arise, do not be afraid, and lifted up their eyes. They saw no one except Jesus himself alone. That preview is now over. But it's interesting to notice a few things. One, I want you to notice that they actually see Moses and Elijah. They weren't obscured from their sight. So was Peter, James, and John fast-forwarded ahead 2,000 years to that kingdom spot? Or was that just a manifestation so then they could see it then? Well, we don't know. But I believe this is the fulfillment of what he said in Matthew 16. That the Son of Man is coming and some of you are going to see that Son of Man in his glorified condition, glorified state before you die. And then he was transfigured like he will be in the kingdom. And we have there, it's so much like the kingdom because there you have Christ, the, the reigning supreme one. Then you have Moses and Elijah, which... Uh, represent the Old Testament saints. I think I'm pretty much all Bible scholars agree on that. And then the New Covenant saints are represented by Peter, James, and John, and they can all see each other. But let me ask you a question. I, I can't answer this question, but how is it that Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah? I was telling somebody that the other day, and I said, you know, they hadn't seen uh, the Ten Commandments on television, so they wouldn't have known what Moses looked like. That's a joke. Uh, because that, that when in my mind of Moses, I think of Charlton Heston. I mean, he made the perfect Moses. <laughs> but when I, I look at this, I see Peter, James, and John recognizing Moses and Elijah that lived thousands of years before them. They'd never seen them. There were not photographs of them around, but they knew who they were. And I would imagine Moses and Elijah knew who they were. Now, they did not, they could not talk to these spiritual beings. And by the way, they are spiritual beings. We saw that last week. Because at the time of the kingdom, when the kingdom is really here, and we're not just in a preview, the kingdom is here. All the Old Testament saints, all the New Testament saints, all the saints of all time will be in their glorified bodies. So we have to figure that Moses and Elijah standing there are in their glorified bodies, their glorified condition, their glorified state at the time that Peter, James, and John saw them. Man, and as that kingdom 
preview is there. Christ noticed that Christ is the preeminent place of authority there. He takes the place of shining, blazing glory, the ruling person and the ruling place. I think this was a, a, a tremendous preview of the kingdom that Jesus promised some of the disciples standing would see. Now he chose Peter, James, and John to see it. I know some people would say, well, that wasn't fair. So everybody should have been able to see it. Well, you know, a lot of things in life are not fair. But they were the privileged ones, privileged ones. And so we see some we've seen previews of, of the kingdom age all through the Old Testament and New Testament, like I said on Pentecost. This in Revelation chapter 20 is a general framework. And we can hang other descriptions, other previews, other passages of Scripture on Revelation chapter 20 because Revelation 20 is not intended to give us all the details or facts about the kingdom. It cannot cover all the kingdom in just 10 verses. So what we're looking at here is really a general framework. We see a structure here. We see a format. And so you remember we looked at verse 1 and we saw one of the characteristics of the kingdom that's going to be real, very real for the people there is that there was a removal of Satan. Satan has been taken out of the way. We saw that in the first three verses. So one of the first things you learn about the kingdom, of course, is that Satan is not going to be around. The one who is right now considered the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this age, will not be the ruler of that age. He's going to be removed. And so we have to assume, even though it doesn't tell us exactly, but we have to assume that all of the demons will be bound up together. So Satan is removed. It gives us a very clear insight into the character of the kingdom. And there will be those who would tell us, well, we're, we're, I've had big people even say, well, we're living in the kingdom now. As far as I know, this is the kingdom. Well, no, it's not. Satan's not bound. We're told Satan walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is very much involved in the world and the affairs of our world right now. So, no, he is not bound. Uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says that Satan can take advantage of us and we're not ignorant of his schemes. So we have a scheming, roaring lion moving around devouring what he can. He's involved in our world very much. But then we noticed last time a, a, a removal uh, so we notice the removal of Satan, but we also notice the reign of the saints. And we, we kind of got into this, and we talked about this. And it says in verse 4, I saw thrones and those who sat upon them. And the question that we asked was, who are the they? And we said that in that verse, you have Old Testament saints. You have those who lived during the time and ministry of Christ. You have the New Testament saints, the tribulation saints, all of them coming together. And then it said the rest of the dead come to life. Uh, don't come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And this is what I want to talk just generally about. We didn't deal with this. You have the godly, the godly resurrected before the thousand years are over or started, as we noted. You have the ungodly resurrected after the thousand years is over. That's the difference in the, in the first and the second resurrection. And I want to just try to make this as simple as possible. The first resurrection involves only godly people. And that's why he says in verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. You see that? 
It says those are blessed, those who have, and that's because they're godly. They have been redeemed. They are the believers. The first resurrection involves only godly believers. So he says in verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has part in that. Over these, now here's the second part of this, over these people, the second death, that is eternal death, has no power. That's all that is saying right there. So let me read it to you again. It says, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection, because they're godly saints. Over these saints, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So there's only one phrase in there that we haven't touched. And that is, what does it mean when it says, the second death has no power? Well, what does that mean? The second death has no power. We know it's referring to the blessed people of hope, the believers, the redeemed ones, the saints. What does the second death, what is that? It says it has no power over believers. Well, the second death is eternal death. It has no power. There will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. So, it is saying that the first resurrection is the ones that are blessed. They are going to reign with Christ. The second resurrection, which is verse 5, the rest of the dead do not come to life until the thousand years were completed. So, this is talking about two different resurrections. One, the godly before the resurrection and the ungodly after the, uh, the godly before the kingdom, the ungodly after the thousand years is over. Daniel tells us about this. Matthew 19 talks about these saints and the tribulation saints and, the, uh, and all of the saints. As far as the reign of saints is concerned, uh, we see uh, Philippians chapter 3. But as far as all this comes here in, in Revelation chapter 20, uh, we all come in that glorified form into the kingdom. And we've talked about this basically uh, a little bit. So you have in the kingdom, when it begins, you have all of the glorified body saints of all times, even those in the tribulation period. And you also have coming into the kingdom believers, born again believers who survived the tribulation period. Uh, so you have glorified, resurrecting bodies ruling, and then you have all the saints of all the ages in those bodies, and they're going to be co-ruling, as it were, carrying out the desires of, of Christ. We are going to be ruling with Christ. And so that is a very interesting time. But I want to ask you this. What are we going to be like? What are these glorified bodies going to be like? And I, I've thought a lot about this lately because... I know people in heaven right now. My wife just went to be in heaven. She's up there right now, probably listening to this study, thinking, William, you hadn't you got it almost right. Not quite. But what are they like? What is my wife like right now? What will she be like when she comes back into the kingdom? What will Carol be like? And first Corinthians answers that. It says 
That which you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. That which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Now that's a good analogy. What he's saying is the seed that goes into the ground doesn't look anything like it comes out. I mean, there's no way to know by looking at a little seed going into the ground what it's going to look like, what, it's going, what, what that seed is going to be. And that's really the sense. The answer to the question of what will we be like, how in the world can we all who are like common seed know what we're going to look like in the resurrection? How are we going to know? How can we know what our glorified bodies will look like? How can we know what our loved ones who are in heaven and we're going to see in the kingdom? What is their body going to be like as well as my body? Well, we can't know that. And how in the world can we see that? But it's going to be different. That's what he's telling us. You put a little tiny seed in the ground and out comes this magnificent flower. We can understand that. Or out comes this blooming plant or out comes this glorious tree and you have no way to see the... Uh, as one writer puts it, the majesty of that tree or the beauty of the plant or the glory of the flower when you look at the seed. And so he says it's really a, a foolish thing to ask. We can't understand what the, what, the, what the purpose of God has in store for us. All we know is when we go to the ground, we are buried because of death. We are raised different. You're but a bare grain, it says, and you're, you go into the ground and God alone knows what's going to come out, but you're going to be different. All flesh is not the same, it says in verse 39. There's one flesh from men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another of fish, just like those are different kinds of bodies. And there are heavenly bodies, there are earthly bodies, and the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. In other words, there's a difference between a mountain and a star, or a mountain and a rock, or between a rock and a comet, as one writer puts it. There's one glory of the sun, there's another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. And we don't really understand all that. You sow, you're sown, so in the resurrection, you're sown a perishable body, you're raised imperishable. Really, but we still can't quite grasp what that means. You're sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. And that's really all we can know. Isn't, there, isn't prophecy great? It can give us just enough, but not all that we would like to know. I mean, with this, all this does is create more questions, doesn't it? Verse 48 says, as is the earthly, so also are those who are earthy. As the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. I don't know what we're going to be like. I don't know what those glorified forms will be like. But they won't be like they are now. We're going to be different. And yet there will be some connection between what I'm going to be or what Carol is, is right now and what she was when she was here with me on this earth. That's comfort. I don't know what those glorified forms will be. There will be a connection, some similarity. So all the saints are going to come forth in the resurrection glory. 
It says in verse 4, they're going to reign with Christ. We're not going to be worried about what we look like. We're not going to be worried about whether we're going to remember someone or not remember someone. We all know who they are. There will be that connection. It won't be the same connection that we have here. I saw thrones, and at the end of that verse, they reign with Christ a thousand years. It's going to be right here on this earth we're going to reign with Christ. The very place Satan ruled, the very place that he ruled when he was in charge. When he was in charge of the physical character of the earth, it's going to be different. It's going to be a universal rule of Christ. That is the Lord Jesus Christ through his saints. He's going to rule the whole world. Another characteristic is going to be comprehensive. Psalm 2 tells us, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Ask of me, I'll give thee nations of thine as the inheritance and the very ends of the earth as their possession. They shall break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. In other words, it's a comprehensive global rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to be a universal worldwide kingdom. And we're going to have access to the whole world. Nobody is going to be outside that rule. He will rule everywhere and everyone. That's interesting because that creates more questions. But in fact, Daniel chapter 2 Seth talks about this. When Christ comes into the world, he is the stone that strikes the statue, represents all the kingdoms of men. And that stone becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. And in the seventh chapter of Daniel, you see the comprehensive or universal character of his rule. You can just read that. I can't read all these verses. In fact, Luke chapter 19, verse 17. Uh, when he says, Well done, good slave. You have been faithful over very little things and authority, and you will now be given authority over ten cities. And then to the next, he says, You too have been faithful. You may be over five cities. And there's a little insight into the comprehensive rule that Christ has over the world and how he dispenses it to those who are faithful. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants to. He can give you ten cities. He can give you five cities. He can give you one city. Or he can give you no cities. He is going to dispense it. He gives ten to rule over. He gives five. Depending on faithfulness. And do, I, do I understand what all that means? No. But I also know it's going to be a universal rule. It's mediated through the saints. All of the saints. It is an absolute rule. That is to say, it's quick judgment on those who oppose it. It is absolute. It is ruled with a rod of iron, Psalm 2, Psalm 72. All talk about this. It's going to be a righteous rule. It's going to be benevolent. It's going to be right and fair because that's who God is. He does what is right. He will not judge by what his eyes see or make a decision by what his ear hears from hearsay. But with righteousness he will judge. In other words, he is going to judge rightly, not because of what he hears, not because of what he thinks or sees or someone reported to him. He will judge right because he is right. Here's what one writer puts, and I quote, He will decide with fairness for the afflicted on the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteous will be the belt about the loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. That's amazing. This world is headed there. And you have the political and the social rule of Christ, a universal, comprehensive, absolute, righteous 
just, fair rule of Christ. He will rule not only politically and socially, He will rule spiritually. That is to say, the kingdom begins. Only saved people will be in the kingdom, in the flesh. Everybody else will have glorified bodies. And that's where we will be. Israel will be blessed. Their land, they're going to be given back to them. We find that in Micah, Isaiah. In fact, really, you can take any of the last 20 chapters of Isaiah and see how the earth is going to be different and how Israel is going to be blessed. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. And by the way, that mountain of the Lord is going to be the only mountain on the earth. All other mountains were destroyed during the tribulation period. And I believe that's where the transfiguration happened. I believe they really went up on top of the same mountain for the transfiguration as part of that preview to give the disciples. As the people walk around uh, the earth, there's a spiritual movement that's going to happen. Not only are those coming in believers, but they're going to have children. And all of those that are born, they're going to have, they're going to, have to place their faith in Christ. Many will be led to the knowledge of Christ. In fact, there will be, it says, ten Gentiles, say the prophet, hanging on the garment of the Jew, asking to please be taken to see the Messiah. Is that saying that we're going to have to be led to the Messiah by the Jewish people? I think it could be. Israel will be blessed. The land of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, will come back to its glorious uh, prominence. And the time of Christ's promise to them will be fulfilled. Let me tell you something. This world is headed towards these changes. It's very real. It's going to happen. And I think it's great for us to get a sample of this reading and a preview because it helps us. It encourages us. It stimulates us in the reading of God's Word. And let me tell you something. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And I truly believe that with all of my heart. The Bible says all of these verses, and it means all of these verses, because this is God giving us His revelation of Himself. Remember, this book is called Revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And remember, we can't know anything about God except it's given to us by the Lord Himself. Well, again, this has been William Rogers bringing a message out of the book of Revelation, chapter 20, on the characteristics of the kingdom. And I thank you for joining us today.